how do car valuations work? The consumer really sets it, right? Everything is controlled by the consumer. The market's controlled by the consumer, not the dealer, not us, not, not the auction or anything like that. Um, but typically, if we look at it, if we kind of peel back the onion a little bit, where, where, what is a car worth? It's like the, it's like the one question that everyone loves to ask. And it's kind of almost like the same question I always compare it to, are we alone on, in, in, on, in, in the universe? <laughs> you know, like those are some things that you always think about where it's the question that, that sometimes is very difficult to answer. You're listening to the Focus on Customer Experience podcast. Podcast. Benjamin Del Grosso gives you the ins and outs of one of the most underlooked aspects in business today. Improve your customer service and watch your business skyrocket. Now, here's your host, Benjamin Del Grosso. Hello and welcome to the show. Today we have Roger Clapp. Roger Clapp is a 15-year senior leader in the automotive industry with deep expertise in automotive e-commerce, retail, wholesale, and merging technologies. Roger's experience was instrumental in building companies such as TradeRev, which was a part of Car Global, WeBuyAnyCar.com, and now WhipFlip which he now heads as founder and CEO from the ground up. Roger, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, Benjamin? Good to see you. Yeah, nice to see you here. So <clears throat> why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to this? <laughs> the automotive industry is one of these industries, I would say, that continues to, you know, to bring you back in. In, in completely different directions, right? This is such a ma massive, massive industry with so many different sub-industries and segments to it that I've had the privilege pretty much for much all my life. I've always had a passion for, I would say, automobiles. And, you know, I, I've i had, uh, you know, a very, very long and rich history with this industry and in pretty much every corner you can imagine from automobile repair to automotive technology to automotive logistics to auction wholesale retail etc um it, it's been it's been kind of a wild ride so nice so that's how you so i mean now you're you're involved with you know whip flip so what does the retail car market tell us about the economy yeah it, it's been interesting um where the retail car market, obviously, if everyone knew in 2020, late 2020, post kind of pandemic lockdown and then in 2021, was wild. I mean, wild, epic. You know, vehicle values were shooting through the roofs because there was such high demand pent up from, I believe, you know, a lot of times the lockdown and the pandemic. Um, and that carried really in the early 2022. But as inflation uh, continued to creep up, the interest rates continued to creep up. Um, you know, fears of recession uh, continue to kind of persist, uh, which still is going on today. We're really in the same exact spot as we were really this time last year. It's kind of when this started to happen. Um, consumer confidence in, in buying a vehicle, new car especially, um, uh, wavered and, you know, demand shrunk. Um, the good news is it lets supply keep, you know, kind of catch up on the manufacturer side to where, you know, um, I think it's normalizing the use, the use, uh, the new and used car prices. But for the most part, like I said, the consumer demand is where 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 the biggest issue is right now, which is again a, a pure sign of how they feel about the economy. 
used you know the automobile industry like housing and, and some other industries one of they're one of the main staples you know of what consumers buy and that one of the, it's one of the main gauges of really the type of economy that we're in and how confident they feel right so if the economy is terrible um automotive at times has a chance to get you know kind of bruised right housing probably gets a chance to have bruised these expensive assets um are a direct reflection on the health of the economy and 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 how the consumers um you know feel about it so yeah i know uh even for me i would be installing dash cameras in people's vehicles and they'd say oh we haven't owned a vehicle in five years oh well you're buying one now well yeah we don't want to fly we don't want to travel to the u.s from canada you know because of the pandemic so you know we decided we're just going to drive and explore canada right so like i actually had a lot of people that were going and buying cars that haven't owned cars in quite a few years because they just decided we're not going to get on a plane and go to mexico anymore we're going to get in a car and drive across country we don't have to deal with any of these you know the tests and and all these cross-border restrictions that were going on during the pandemic. So, I mean, I seen it quite a few. I had easily 10 customers that like, this was my first car in 10 years. This is my first car in five years. Right. And it was like, Oh, it's interesting. And you know, a lot of these people live in downtown Vancouver. So, you know, in downtown Vancouver, you can hop yeah. on a bus and get anywhere, but yeah. now they're buying this car just to travel on the weekends or for the once a month, let's get away somewhere kind of thing. Right. So. Yeah, you're right, Benjamin. I mean, I, you know, <clears throat> think about cars, but cars always have been that way. They've always <laughs> been the chariot, right? The kid, the ultimate connector between you and the world, right? The, the car, right. The, where you have to go somewhere, do something, um, whatever the car has always been there as, as the main form of transportation for a human being. Right. And things have changed, you know, ride share, uh, ride share, uh, you look at car share, um, you know, different ways to, uh, uh, to get around, but you know, a car still is front and center of what someone's going to own as their main form of transportation. Now you brought up an interesting point you, know, you talked about, well, this is the first car that someone's had really in, in five or 10 years, you know, it used to be, and there's a couple of reasons behind this. It used to be that, you know, now on average, maybe about four to six years was legit the average length of ownership for a vehicle and then they would get into a new one that's just what you did eh, four years my loan's coming up i'm just about done paying it off time to trade it in keep going keep going keep going and now you're seeing the average length of ownership stretch out far beyond that you know easily past seven years on average and there's a couple of reasons why I, I think one of the things is cars are now built to last longer it's funny they make them so complicated now and they're definitely more expensive <laughs> to repair than back in the day but the warranties are longer. So people have confidence when you have a 100,000 mile powertrain warranty on a vehicle versus back in the day, it'd be 36,000 mile, maybe a 50,000 mile warranty. People are going to drive on it. Say, so, yeah, you know, the transmission blows out and I'm under 100,000 miles. I can get a new transmission without paying for it, right? So it gives them confidence to drive the vehicle. On top of that, you know, like you said, they're just lasting longer, uh, even, and it's across the spectrum too. It's not just that you have to buy a Honda or a Toyota anymore to get 200,000 miles out of it. You can now start to approach that easily with an American car, especially the Korean cars like Kia and Hyundai, which had one of the worst reputations in the early 2000s versus where they're at now. 
So I just think that the, I always keep going back to consumer confidence level, but I, I think the consumer confidence level is, is a lot higher. Um, and, and then I'd say the third thing is it, higher reliability, but I would say the third thing is, is this, you know, cars are also, do also cost a lot more, especially new cars. Loan terms seem like they're going up in terms of years for the average loan. So there's another reason why you're going to see someone saying, you know what? It feels good not to have a car payment. They could have a five-year loan, which is a standard, but maybe it's a six-year loan. There are now loans that are at seven years, right? And I think when they're all done paying that that final dollar on that on that note, I think sometimes they chill a little bit, say, ah, it feels good for the next two years, right? Not to have a car payment. I hear that all the time from my friends. I've had friends that still have their car 10 plus years later easily because like, I don't want to have a car payment, so... Yeah, no. So here's a good question. <clears throat> this whole world is being pushed to electric, right? And, you know, me, I drive an electric car, but I don't believe the grid is ready. I don't believe the infrastructure is ready. I believe that and i only bought an electric car because i didn't want to pay for gas anymore right that's the only reason why i bought an electric car three and a half years ago because i kept watching the gas go like in in canada go from like you know 80 cents a liter to a dollar 70 a liter to a dollar and it's like how do you how do i go from like 400 a month in gas to like 800 a month in gas i can't I can't manage this. So so I bought an electric car because I just got tired of it because you know the electrical bill is very minimal of where with where I am located as compared to paying for gas in in a car. Now, are you no do you think that the the market is going to maybe maybe I'm making this a more overly complex question, but do you think the market is actually going to adopt to this full electric market like like the media and everything is talking about, or do you think it's kind of like a a fad and we're going to see like hydrogen or something crazy like that come out in the next couple of years? Well, like... I'm always careful <laughs> to be the expert to answer that question and say, this is exactly what's going to happen. I think too many people have that type of a, have that type of approach and they're wrong. No one, no one knows if I can make a prediction, <clears throat> electric cars, 100% will be the way of the future will be the dominant vehicle on the road. It is not going to happen, though, when they say it's going to happen. Oh, by 2030, we want to go all electric. It's impossible. The infrastructure is not there. It's not even close. I think California has already taught us a lesson of just <laughs> saying, hey, when you have a bunch of electric vehicles in one given area, it's going to blow out the power grid, right? We are not ready for that. The And, and, and again, you're replacing gas pumps with what? Okay, electric vehicle charging stations. Okay, but it takes a long time to charge that battery, even on a super duper, whatever they call it, charging station by Tesla. You know, so like it's not like you can spend five minutes at the pump, 10 minutes at the pump, filling up your 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 car to go another 500 miles. I don't see see it feasible for someone sitting there for an hour and waiting for the battery to fully charge to go another 300 miles or 400 miles, right? There's just a lot. I just believe that there's a ton more development that has to be done. More, the good news is there's more development that has to be done, more so on the infrastructure side. It's like, how do you kind of make it like the world now with gas pumps and cars to like be just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, right? Especially for people that want to go on long road trips and stuff like that. How do you create that infrastructure? I think the good news is, and that's why I'm bullish on it, the electric cars being 
a standard. Maybe in the next 20 years, it makes a decent wiggle into the penetration rate of, or the market share level of electric cars versus gas. But you can see how fast that all the manufacturers are developing electric cars. It's wild, right? Because when, when you think about <coughs> Tesla was really kind of the first, right? And not the first electric car maker, but like they were the first ones really to say like, we're going to create an entire electric car division or electric car company. And then Chevrolet came out with the Volt. Then like Prius, Toyota Prius was like the hybrid. Now, like now it's like the Toyota EV. Now every manufacturer right now literally has at least one EV model on their, in, in their repertoire, right? So like that's, that's, that's telling you that it's going to happen. So, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't see us normalizing into electric cars at least for 20 years, minimum for 20 years. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, it's 2023 20, and, and I look at the, what's going on out there. And even I've like, like I, I charge at home 99.9% yep. of the time. Right. But I've gone to like, uh, pulled up to a gas station where they have these, you know, chargers that'll charge your vehicle in 30 to 40 minutes. And it says, please contact Petro Canada for service. This charger says, and I'm going, so imagine I'm on the road and I'm depending on this charger to charge my vehicle in 30 to 40 minutes so that I can keep going to the next station, right? You know, three, 400 kilometers down the road and I can't charge my vehicle. And I was right. like, and, and this is one of the only places within a few kilometers, you know, like to me, you know, the infrastructure is not there. It's not ready. Nope. And people keep asking me, you know, uh, because I drive an electric car and I'm always working on people's cars and they're always asking me, you know, where do you think it's going? And I said, I just don't think like it's, I don't see it being ready. You know, like, do I, do I like having an electric car? Yeah. Like it goes fast. It's cool. It's, you know, it's quiet, you know, but you know, if you're somebody who's a car guy and likes the sound of that engine revving, you're mm -hmm. definitely not going to like the electric car, right? So, but anyways, I just wanted to get kind of your take on it. So, you, so you still think electric cars are definitely you know coming, but not in the timelines they're talking, which which actually makes sense. I agree with you there. I think the electric cars are still coming, but I just think that there's no way they can get it by 2030. I just I don't no, it's I don't, I don't see that, it. That was that that that's a, that was a complete pipe dream from the beginning. And I think, I think some of it is the manufacturers and stuff like that saying, no, you know, I think some of it's political. I really do. I think that like, you know, that that's the message that's being sent by, you know, our government and, and the initiatives that they want for a green, you know, a greener footprint, right. Then, then more of a carbon based footprint. Um, but, you know, like the manufacturers are certainly complying, but you're just, we're just so far away right now. Electric car is now like that small option still on the menu, right? Oh, hey, what brings you to the dealership today? Well, I'm looking for a Toyota Camry, whatever. Oh, hey, we have this electric model or we have this whatever it is. And so like, that's never been done before. And that's why, like I said, they're, they're, the manufacturers are definitely continuing to advance their electric vehicle production into different models now. Now, every model is going to have like, I can see like manufacturers spreading out most of their models that they have into a pure EV um, uh, option, right? Um, but like I said, I think it's going to take, like you, we all agree, it's going to take a long time to get that infrastructure set up. And a lot of it does, again, come down to the infrastructure, but the battery as well. Okay. If you can find, you'll solve it quickly. If you can somehow get a battery to charge within 10 minutes, 
Yeah, I think it would explode. Not, not explode. Yeah, not explode. But I think the bit the electric car business yeah. would would explode, right? Because a lot of pressure <clears throat> on the grid. You know, yeah, is the grid ready? Is your house ready? Is your neighborhood ready? Right. So if everyone buys an electric car tomorrow and they all plug in in your neighborhood, <laughs> like you know, you ever see the movie like like where someone plugs it in, like the whole city lights dim. Yeah. You know? So that's kind of what what you're facing. That's funny. So, so we'll uh, jump around here. Um, how do car valuations work? The consumer really sets it, right? Everything's controlled by the consumer. The market's controlled by the consumer, not the dealer, not us, not not the auction or anything like that. Um, but typically, if we look at, if we kind of peel back the onion a little bit, where where what is a car worth? That's like the it's like the one question that everyone loves to ask. And it's kind of almost like the same question I always compare it to, are we alone on in, in, on, in, in the universe? <laughs> you know, like those are some things that you always think about where it's the question that, that sometimes is very difficult to answer. But I think everyone has an opinion. There's no right answer to this. And that's what I mean by what I just mentioned. So what is a car worth and where does it come from? Well, a lot of it's going to come from what the consumer has been buying them for at the retail level. And then it's backed in to the wholesale level. So dealers are saying, okay, I'm at an auction or I'm buying from another dealer. They have this used car, right? It's got this many miles on, it's got this, got that. The good news is that there's probably been a hundred thousand of these things that have sold maybe in a given year, two or three, right? So there's a nice healthy average that any guidebook or whoever it is can take and compile and say, this is what we believe the car is worth on average. Does that make sense? Certain conditions may bump it up, bump it down. Um, but it's really just more of a consensus based on what the consumers are currently transacting the cars for currently. And that's it. If it that makes make, sense. I understand what you're saying. I mean, I remember when I was uh, selling our house in Greater Toronto, Canada here. And I remember the real estate agent said something to me, uh, which was awesome. <clears throat> it was totally different approach than any other real estate agent. Every other real estate agent is like, oh, you know, we can get 700,000. We can get, you know, this much for your house, you know, and they, oh, they always make it sound like yeah. you're going to be making this bag of money. And you're like, oh, yes, we're cashing in. And, you know, this real estate agent said, listen, like, we're going to price it at this price. And we'll see what the market dictates because the consumers yeah. dictate what they're willing to pay for your house. Correct. Right. And he said, you know, we can price it whatever you want, but if people are only willing to pay this price, that's all your house is worth. Correct. Right. And so, yeah. The, the good old adage is to say, okay, what, what's, what, what's something, what's the value of something, right? Well, what, what, what someone's willing to pay for it. And again, that, that that's correct because that, that sets the tone for what the value is. Right. But it's all right. What if, what if 100,000 people paid for it? What if millions of people paid for that same product? And you can easily reference that right back to a specific car, year, make, model, and trim. Right. So, the, uh, what, 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 what we're all trying to say is that there's an average value out there for most car, literally every car that exists on the road today. The question is what's the condition that separates it from higher value of the average or lower value of the average? Um, also there's all economic factors that are out there that heavily influence. Like, that's why the guidebooks are just a guide. And it really does come down to is the, is, is the buyer somewhere in the realm of the guidebook? 
if they're too low, why are they too low? Now, there's factors out there like gas prices, okay? It's funny. You can see a wiggle of any type of value of an electric car or hybrid goes up or down in value, like reasonably, with the cost of gas going up 10 cents or, about, or, or losing 10 cents. Again, it's crazy, right? But it's that sensitive. Um, you can see like right now, right? We're, we're, we're uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if we're going into a recession or anything like that. I'm kind of over that whole talk either. All right, we're either in it or we're not in it. But if everyone has recession fears and inflation fears and stuff like that and pocketbooks get tighter, then you start to see luxury vehicles, right? Or sports cars in the wintertime don't sell as much as good as they do uh, in the springtime or in the summertime, right? So you have like that seasonality effect. And that all contributes to the value of a car. It's not it's not too complicated uh, when you think about it in a, in a macro general or average sense, right? Um, it, at least you have a North Star somewhat with the guidebooks that are out there. There's many and they're all kind of around the same price. And that's kind of where it just comes down to dealer to dealer to negotiate what it's worth at the end of the day, dealer to consumer to negotiate what it's worth at the end of the day. That's it. And then that becomes a record and it just adds to the average, you know? Nice. So, you know, obviously you've been involved in a few businesses and now you've started a business. So what are your top tips for scaling a startup business? My top tips for scaling a startup business, be patient, establish your fundamentals, own your fundamentals, and, you know, execute, 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 no matter how big you are. It's okay to be small right now and build something that has a solid foundation under it versus a swamp, right? Once you have that solid foundation of traction, again, traction, fundamentals, people, you know, your people, the people that help build your companies are the most important, especially at the earliest stages. Um, but once you have these type of things in place, if you're a business of scale, whether it's physical footprints across the country, whether it's digital, whatever it is, whether it's international, um, at least you have a foundation under you to give more of a more accurate plan or go to market strategy to to start expanding into other territories, right? And that's my that's my biggest advice. There's been so many companies in many different industries, but especially in automotive where they've grown way, way, way too fast. So the thing was like, hey, grow top line revenue, grow sales, hockey stick, right? And as they're doing that, they're losing sight of the core fundamentals and some of the problems, the core, the core problems that their business is having that they would have to fix even at scale are not being addressed to and worked on because they're all just focused on the top, top, top line. So my advice is don't do that, right? If you're in a if you're in a if you're in a uh, industry or segment of the industry, we're lucky to be in an industry where it's extremely fragmented, right? Um, there's what 42 million cars each year that exchange hands from consumers. Um, there's over 60,000 dealers, give or take, new and used car dealers in the country, and just in the U in the states in the U.S. What are you chasing, and who's chasing you? You know, the best car buyer on the planet, which is Whip Flip. I'll tell, I have to give the plug. <laughs> the best car buyer on the planet, Whip Flip, right? There could be 10 of us that exist and no one's going to put anyone out of business. I can guarantee it. CarMax cannot put us out of business. 
We can't put CarMax out of business. It's impossible because you have 60,000 other dealers where all these cars kind of go. Our goal is to be the best at what we do for the consumer. And I think they'll choose us naturally in that level. We'll get our own sizable share of the market, which will be still in single percentage point digits, believe it or not. And that's why we say fundamentals, 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 strong foundation under your feet, then go. And then stop, assess, make sure everything's going the way it is, then go a little bit more aggressive. And then eventually you'll get to that level where you're in hyper growth mode, but you're doing it with a, a, a solid foundation under your feet that your company is sustainable, your model is sustainable. You're going to be around for a while instead of burning yourself out of cash, you know, to accomplish what? Top end growth? That's over. So... Yeah, that's an interesting point because uh, I've, I've done some business with a few people over the last couple of years that are, you know, they're not, um, how do you say this? They haven't built good systems and processes. Correct. And their business is growing and you can see everything keeps crumbling and get even worse. Their communication gets worse. Uh, the way they actually, you know, deal with customers, how they structure things they say hey we're gonna do that this this and that for you and then like like a month goes by and they're still like oh yeah i forgot to get that because they're they're already broken and if you already have a broken foundation and then you continuously grow everything will just continue to get worse which can cause your your business to fall apart and you right. lose a lot of market share very quickly but if you have a solid foundation and you start you know uh, what do you want to say? Uh, paving over the cracks, or or whatever you want to want to say, right? But um, you know, as a company grows, you are continuously going to have cracks. You're going to continuously have challenges happen, right? You know, what used to be one person could handle accounting now turns into we now need two people because we're so busy. We now need three people, right? Because we can't keep up. And you need to realize that as your business grows, where those cracks are and where you need to put the people so that your business can continue to grow without all these cracks and challenges or cracks in the foundation, I guess, showing up, right? A hundred percent. Again, you see some of the best. So some of the best companies that exist today came out in the recession era, Right. And some of the worst companies that exist today, if not exist or not, but came out in the pandemic era, okay? They're a pandemic darling, right? Not saying all of them, but definitely some that were a pandemic darling, got a great tailwind from it and just kind of said, grow, 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 right? Like you mentioned, lost the fundamentals. The ones in the recession, and you think about these companies that we're going to mention right now, we, we take, it's funny, Whipflip is influenced from a couple of these companies uh, from the recession era. Uh, one being Uber, uh, the other one being DoorDash and Airbnb. Major players uh, in, in their respective industries and in the entire startup ecosystem, right? And they came out and they had to operate in, uh, within immense constraint, their check size. Can you imagine like Uber going out to raise an investment? The Uber that we know now struggled to get $500,000 of an investment. Airbnb was the same way. Facebook, I think, Peter Thiel, 500,000. Like, you know, like 
wow, you know, like the, the size of these companies now and, and how influential they are on, on, on us is you can't even imagine it, but those companies had to operate under immense constraint. So you had no choice other than to make the money last. And if you make the, and, and how to make the money last is fundamentals, right? And doing the right, and execution, because that's what's going to drive sales the right way, profits the right way, making sure that you have, like you said, processes in place. Um, you can, And you have to be like unbelievably close to perfect, because if you're not, you don't have that much money. It goes away and you're out of business. You know, I think it was the ones and, and we came through this crazy stage of venture capital where I think some valuations were going through the roof. And venture capital is pumping a lot of these companies full of cash. And me, in my opinion, it's like locking the kid in the in, in his own room with this full trick or treat bag, and the kid's going to eat all the candy immediately. Not he's not going to save it for another day. He's going to eat it all. And he's going to say, "I have a toothache, right? I have a stomach ache. <laughs> you know, like it's terrible. I wish you didn't do this." But like that's what happened. They took that money and they said, "Grow or die," and. That's not really a recipe for sustainable success because it's very easy to lose sight of your fundamentals when everyone's trying to push you to top line growth and you have all the money in the world for now. But that but that money drives up even faster, and so that's just my opinion. Yeah, no, it's it's great. <clears throat> Do you have any final words of wisdom or anything for for our listeners or? I, I always say this, you know, you're everyone that's looking to sell a car, please go to whipflip.com. <laughs> but not just that. I, I would say um, for our listeners, to the car buyers coming up, right? We're in an interesting time of the year. I want to give unbiased advice. And if Whipflip can help with what we do, like I said, we're, we're you can sell your car as fast and as easy as ordering a pizza with us directly from your driveway, just using a smartphone device completely on demand. This is the easiest way you've ever sold a car for a great price, okay? Just try us out. But if not, I still wanna give advice to the car buying and car selling consumer. This is the time of year where it is the market is going to be at its peak in the industry, all right? It's tax time. And that tax money, those refund checks, always a good chunk of that goes in back into the automotive industry. People transact a lot of vehicles this, this time of year versus, um, other times, right? So that's upon us and we're in a new world. And I'll say this, if you're selling a car or thinking about selling a car, now is definitely time to do it. This is where wholesale values will be at their peak. It's not a windfall. It's not going to be like 2021, but this is the optimal time to sell your car for the most money that you possibly can. Okay. Um, a car buying consumer, it's, it's, it's hit or miss. It's up to you, right? It's now you got to open your wallet. It's different than selling a car. You got to open your wallet and buy a car. And I know that interest rates are super high and they're continuing to climb. If we all take a second step back, and I know this is going to be a very tough pill to swallow, but interest rates at the level that they're at now resemble very closely where we were at, the, at a pre-recession level in the early 2000s, especially in the 90s especially in the 80s. Interest rates might seem high now only because they were very high or they were very low, if not free, for the last 12 years. 
And a lot of people forget about that. So to wait for things to get better, to wait for things to go down, you're wasting your time if you have to buy a car. And that's just my love, my tough love, my unbiased advice um, to the consumers that are out there. Um, but if you have something great that you're still driving and you, yeah, you'd like to have a new car, you'd like to have a, have a newish car upgrade, it might not make sense for you to buy anything. And it's okay. Enjoy what you currently have. And then you go into the market when you feel comfortable. And that's all I can say. So, Okay. So, Roger, how, how does everybody get a hold of you? Well, I would say whip, www.whipflip.com. W-H-I-P-F-L-I-P.com. We have not just our, <clears throat> our site, which should be able to guide anyone pretty easily. But if you need to reach someone... We have a, you know, we, we pride ourselves on having a human element to this as well, because we're talking about a vehicle transaction. The site can do the job. Our tech is amazing. You, most of the customers walk right through it in three steps, less than five minutes, and their car is sold, right? But if you need to talk to somebody, you need to get a little bit more information, you need to feel comfortable, whatever it is. We do have a phenomenal customer service staff on call. Uh, we have, you know, you, you can chat with them via the internet. You can call them on the phone, 888 349-3149 is our, you know, direct number to our main office. And they're always willing to help and assist whatever, what, what you have. So we always want to say that we're, we're a technology, you know, we're, we're definitely a, a, a hyper tech company, but I would say that there's also always going to be a human element that's not, that's going to be a part of this whole transaction as well. So Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on and sharing this information today. Yeah, absolutely, Benjamin. Always a pleasure.